Today's episode of Duncan Holder is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Saints tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting. And buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. What is that when you jump around and carry on and? the who dat stuff. You know, that's really kind of a, a fan, you know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here with you, of course, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it's freebie Monday for you guys. Of course, uh, we want you to rate, review, do all that good jazz. Uh, we've gotten some good reviews, surprisingly. I mean, I don't think we can just go in and do it ourselves uh, a bunch of times. So thanks for the all positive reviews and ratings. And Jeff, it's all positive reviews and ratings for Saints football, for LSU football, for Tulane football. It seems like that's the way it's been throughout the entire season. And we're sitting here on a Monday uh, ready for both teams, high expectations after some big wins this weekend. And, Jeff, it's been – I can't remember the last time – I feel like we say this on a weekly basis now. I can't remember the last time that all three major football programs in southeastern Louisiana are playing at such a high level all at the same time. Yeah, you know, we thought it would be a really good year for the Saints – LSU and Tulane. I don't think any of us thought it would be quite this spectacular. Um, you know, you can make a legitimate case. Saints clearly are Super Bowl contenders. I think that's pretty safe to say. LSU, I think, clearly is a national championship contender. I don't know if that – I mean, those are rare, rare instances. And Tulane right now is, has a real shot to win the American Athletic Conference. You know, I tweeted out something about that over the weekend and got – bombarded by Louisiana raging Cajun fans. You know how that goes on Twitter. I mean, if you leave somebody. Not giving the, <laughs> yeah, not giving the Cajuns enough credit over in Lafayette, right. I guess. Oh, well. You know, you leave somebody out and you pay the price as, uh, on social media. But seriously, I, Larry, you and I anticipated it would be a big year. But I think it's gone even better than any of us thought. I mean, don't you, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, I thought Tulane could – potentially make a bowl. Uh, now they're four and one having beaten army on the road, impressively beaten Houston at home. Uh, of course, and even played Auburn tough. I mean, their one loss is at Auburn and they played them tough and they're even getting mentions on ESPN as possibly sneaking into one of those new Year's six bowls because they might be one of the best uh, of the outside of the power five. So uh, look, we're going to talk plenty about Tulane later on in the show. I actually have a, a piece up right now on The Athletic, a profile on Justin McMillan, of course, the quarterback for Tulane. Uh, his ties to LSU, that won't go away, even though Tulane fan wants it to, but it, it's part of what shapes him. 
Uh, so you can go check that out right now at theathletic.com slash New Orleans. Uh, we'll talk LSU later on in the show as well. But, of course, got to talk about what's most fresh. Saints beating the Bucks, 31-24. And, Jeff, even though you are Team Taysom, it's Teddy time, my friend. Come on. He's, he's a Louisville former player, and you are, have been sheepish. Are you not sheepish on him now? Are you thinking, hey, this guy can take you to the promised land or until, at least until Drew Brees gets you back? Well, look, that was easily the best performance he's had since he's been with the Saints. Um, yeah, I, your, your column said it right. It was pretty much Brees-esque the way he played. Uh, you know, his numbers were off the charts. I think he had 131 passer rating, which was the second highest of his entire career. And it would be even higher if that ball would have gotten to Alvin Kamara would have at least been even just an incompletion, much less an interception that really crushes your quarterback rating. Uh, but there was very little to complain about. He looked completely in control. Some of the you know indecisiveness we've seen before uh, wasn't there at all. He was very decisive. He threw the ball down the field. No more 10-yard Teddy. A lot of big plays. Spread the ball around like Breeze does. Uh, I just... It was clear that he is getting more and more comfortable each game, and I guess we should we should expect that. And when the team is playing so well in other facets, uh, I think it takes some of the pressure off of him as well. You know, they they haven't trailed by double digits since the first uh, part of that Texans game early on. Uh, they've been in every game these three wins. I think the largest deficit they've had is maybe four points. Uh, you know, in, in this game, I think they were down seven to four, seven to three. But they've been in every game or they've had the lead in every game. And I think that helps because he's not uh, really making mistakes or not putting the ball in harm's way in any way and, and hurting the team. So, look, I I, I was very impressed yesterday. Uh, he was a difference maker. And uh, the, the Saints clearly are in good hands. And I think he's playing so well now you don't really – feel any sense of urgency to rush back Drew Brees at all. Even though Drew's throwing Nerf footballs and it's the, uh, you know, it's the return of uh, the greatest quarterback to ever play for the Saints. Come on, Jeff. He's coming back next week throwing those Nerf footballs. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I think that was a little overreaction by some folks. <laughs> you know, any news is can be overreacted. Uh, but, Jeff, I'm with you that they, the more that Teddy wins – the less that the Saints have to push back, even though, you know, Drew Brees is chomping at the bit. Uh, there was a portion of my column that our editor, Jennifer Armstrong, actually took out. I was saying, look, Drew might be, even be jealous. No one's chanting Drew's name ever in games because it's just not catchy. Teddy, Teddy. It's two syllables. I mean, the only time they chant anything about Drew is MVP. They don't even say his <laughs> name. So maybe Drew wants to get back early to take back his throne. But no, in all seriousness, uh, it's certainly something that you win three games against three teams that were coming in pretty hot. I mean, Seattle had won two in a row before taking on the Saints. The Cowboys were 3-0. and The Bucks came in and had just put up 55 against the Rams. So both were all three of those teams were on a little bit of a hot streak. And talking to a bunch of players after the game, just bringing up that aspect, it just kind of goes to show you that this team is almost like they're not dealing with adversity anymore. They're just being themselves, and they're good with Drew. They're obviously pretty good, darn good without Drew as well. Yeah, look, I think 
Yeah, that storyline, that narrative is gone now, of playing without Drew Brees. That This team was built to be able to absorb a loss like that. Uh, they're so good right now uh, on defense, especially up front. Their defensive lines, what I just wrote about for my uh, deep dive and a little tease for that that should be posted here in the next uh, couple hours um, on Monday morning. Uh, but their defensive line is just dominant. Six sacks yesterday, uh, eight quarterback hits, countless pressures. I haven't seen the analytics numbers. They're not in yet. Uh, but I guarantee it's going to be in the double-digit uh, hurries and pressures. And when they're playing that well up front on defense, uh, it's hard to do two things. It's hard to run the ball. And then when you can't run the ball because the Saints are stopping the run, you've got to pass, and they know you've got to pass, and they just get after you. They're winning their one-on-one battles. They're they're deep. Larry, the biggest question I've got is when Trey Henderson, Hendrickson comes back, who's going to be inactive? I mean, it's hard to deactivate this defensive line. There's so many guys playing at such a high level. I mean, I guess you could – uh, put down Carl Granderson, but they're very, very high on Carl Granderson. We saw his potential yesterday. Uh, I'm sure they'd like to get him on the field. I don't know what they're going to do, but that's a good problem to have right now. This team is going into a little bit of a dicey stretch here, two tough road games against two very good defenses. I expect these games to be very physical, and the Saints have a team that can trade blows in the trenches with anybody in the league right now. Yeah, and you you mentioned, of course, the the defensive front and – you're seeing people get pressure, and it seemed like uh, because the Saints' defensive front kind of battered and beat up that Bucks' offensive line so much early on that late in the game, boy, they just wilted. And, uh, you know, it's not like uh, the Saints haven't done that to opponents before, but, I mean, it was extremely evident uh, against uh, the Bucks on Sunday. I mean, you've had, let's see, how many people had sacks? You had Malcolm Brown had a sack, Carl Granderson had a sack, uh, did uh, let's see, Cam Jordan? Did he have a sack? I'm even trying to remember. They had five five <laughs> uh, guys had sacks, so it was what? Yeah, I know Marcus Davenport had a had two sacks. Yeah, and Granderson, and uh, kudos to him for doing the worm after his sack. I mean, Sheldon Rankins gets a sack, so uh, it, it seemed like everyone along that defensive front uh, was able to create pressure. And, and Jeff, let's uh, stick to one person who, from you and me, have defended throughout the offseason and the last couple of years. And for those knucklehead Saints fans who decide to pounce on Marcus Davenport, how about you chill for a minute? Uh, Marcus Davenport, we've seen him progress, even starting it against the Rams. Uh, I felt like you started saw, seeing an uptick with him. Uh, he has three sacks already this year. Uh, he's forced to fumble. And Jeff, he is tied for second most quarterback hits in the NFL with 11, only J.J. Watt has more with 13. Uh, I think Marcus Davenport is getting the job done, folks. So let's settle down over there. Yeah, look, and it's, it's his midway, not even midway through his second season. So people need, yeah, people need to pump the brakes on the criticism of him. Look, he did, he'll be the first to tell you, you know, he wasn't playing as well early in the season as he is now. I mean, even Sheldon Rankins referred to that, but he's coming on. And uh, what they what was Rankins calling him? The, they call him the double first round first rounder because he, he got traded yeah, up. Yeah, double first rounder. But no, I mean if he continues to play at this level, uh, opposite Cam Jordan, I mean he bull rushed Demar Dotson. It's all over the internet yesterday. One armed him, bull rushed right back into Jameis Winston. I think 
someone said that the sack occurred in 2.2 seconds. That's how quick he got to Jameis Winston. You got no chance in, in that short of time. But if he continues to come on and Rankins, you expect him to continue to get better coming back from injury. And David Onyemata is playing very, very well right now. He's going he's gonna to be an interesting case. I don't want to get derailed on this, but interesting case for the Saints in this offseason. What do they do with David Onyemata? Because he's playing well enough to start for anybody in the league. I mean, he has an anchor in there against the run. He's the strongest guy on the team. And he has really blossomed. This is a contract year for him. Uh, so, uh, you know, they've got multiple guys that can play guys inside now. At one point, they had Mario Edwards playing out of defensive end. Uh, Cam Jordan said he was playing almost like a nose tackle position on one play. Uh, they're moving guys around, causing a lot of problems for opposing offensive lines. And I think it all starts with them. We know how good their offensive line is. They haven't played up to their standards so far this year. I thought they did yesterday. Their pass protection was brilliant. Uh, but if they get these two lines playing at the high level, that the potential is there for them to play, uh, this team's going to make a another deep playoff run, there's no doubt. Yeah, uh, of course, uh, offensive line certainly played better. We'll touch on that uh, in a couple minutes when we shift over to uh, the offensive side of the ball uh, in general. But, Jeff, uh, we cannot ignore how well Marshawn Lattimore played yesterday at all. I mean, you and me have – uh, written about it and said, man, okay, we got to see it from Marshawn Lattimore. He had high expectations coming into this season after uh, a sluggish year two, and admittedly even after the game that he was down on himself after this first couple of performances uh, against the Texans specifically when he's matched up against DeAndre Hopkins. But last week he takes out Amari Cooper. This week he shuts down Mike Evans completely, someone who really took it to him almost a year ago, week one, when he torched Marshawn Lattimore in week one uh, when Ryan Fitzpatrick was throwing the football everywhere. And you can tell he's playing uh, that Marshawn Lattimore level the last two weeks that we saw his rookie season. And, I mean, he just, it's like Jameis doesn't even want to look his way because Lattimore is giving him no room to breathe. And that you add all of that up. And, man, it, it seems like overall the defense is coming together quicker than it did last year, and that's why you're seeing all these great performances so far. But you got to give Marshawn Lattimore a ton of credit. Yeah, Mike Evans had a 65-game streak, a broken of catching passes. It was only the second time in his entire career that he didn't catch a pass. Uh, the other time happened to be against the Saints uh, during his rookie season in the Superdome. Um, yeah, you're right. When he plays at that lockdown kind of level, the Saints defense goes to another level um, because then the opposing quarterback has to start going to his second and third options, and that's what happened yesterday with Winston. Now, Chris Godwin had a monster game. They obviously got to shore up that part of the secondary. Uh, but all in all, this was a game where you knew uh, it was going to be about the Saints' ability to hold down the Bucks' explosive plays, and for the most part, they did that. I thought the biggest key was – Lattimore, clearly, I think he's been challenged. You know, that's one thing that came across uh, in the locker room yesterday was the challenges that, that the Saints coaching staff has issued to the defense uh, when Breeze went down. I mean, they basically said, you know, you guys got to carry us. We're going to play a certain style of football. And I'm sure Marshawn Lattimore was part of that. And it's really cool to see him respond to a challenge. It says something about his competitive spirit. He admitted he was not playing that well earlier this year. So I think the criticism of him was certainly valid. 
Uh, but you have to give him credit for responding and, and been a big part of this resurgence. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Jeff, the challenge, because I, I was able to catch up with Von Bell uh, by myself after the game, and he brought that up numerous times. He said the head coach, the defensive coordinator, of course, meaning Sean Payton and Dennis Allen, they challenged the defense. He brought the, he said those specific terms numerous times in my conversation with him. And uh, speaking of another guy like an Anyamata, he's he's playing himself into a good contract. You're wondering how the Saints handle that because he's been vital to the Saints' uh, uh, bounce back from Drew Brees' injury uh, with creating takeaways and being very good at that strong safety spot. And, uh, yeah, it's apparent that this defense is ready to play. And uh, we figured the defense would be – a strength this year. I mean, I think we've gotten past the point of thinking, man, this defense is going to be a liability, uh, but uh, they're playing at the level of Super Bowl expectations. And you and me both agree that uh, we're walking back from the locker room yesterday, back, go back upstairs to, to the press box. And we're both just talking to each other and saying, man, this team's going to the Super Bowl. And I don't think we, we don't say that lightly, uh, you and me. I mean, we've got to be convinced and uh, that defense uh, you look around the league, uh, the Saints defense is playing at a Super Bowl-type level right now. It really is. Yeah, and they, you know, they play at another level in the, in the uh, Superdome. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, there's a marked difference between how they play there. I'm really interested to see these next two games going down to Jacksonville, which has a very stout defense, and Chicago, which has a great defense, obviously. Uh, these games are going to be physical defensive battles. And in the past, the Saints uh, really couldn't hold up in those kind of games. They always, you know, they had historic problems against the AFC North division, uh, those type of teams. This team is built to be able to withstand uh, or, you know, to play well in a game like that. And it's going to be really important for them to continue to follow this formula, really strong defense and special teams, ball control, field position, and just not making big mistakes on offense. Uh, yesterday, obviously, that one interception led to a touchdown, got them in the early hole, uh, but they're playing so well everywhere else, they, they're able to overcome those things. They can't afford those kind of mistakes uh, going on the road. I would not totally say the special teams played well as every week. Uh, Marcus Murphy, I mean, Deontay Harris is back there fumbling punts. And Jeff? As bright of a bulb as he's been, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because there's so much other positivity to talk about, but they were fortunate a couple of times. With Mar- uh, I'm literally saying Marcus Murphy because that's what I think he's becoming. Uh, Deontay Harris, he could have a big play, and yet he looks scared and over his head at this point, uh, fielding punts. I mean, I'm curious to see uh, how much longer, if he struggles, how much longer do they keep up with him? Even though I know they, they like him, uh, but that that to me is is definitely a worry. Uh, I know, Jeff, you were, uh, we were all watching to where, see, where Deontay Harris, even after he was hurt, uh, if, if Sean Payton was still going to go after him after the second uh, botched uh, punt return uh, yesterday. Yeah, look, they, they got really a, a, an officiating break on that. I mean, clearly that ball was a fumble and look clearly watching the replay this morning that the Bucks recovered it. Uh, so the Saints were very fortunate that that ruling went the way it did. Uh, and they're not going to continue to get those lucky bounces and breaks if he continues to fumble the ball. And if there's one thing we've learned about Sean Payton, he is not going to put up with a punt returner he cannot trust. I mean, 
no matter how electric he is. The thing that worried me a little bit, and this is understandable, uh, Larry, but you know his body language is pretty noticeable. When he comes off the field, you can tell he's down, which makes sense. Uh, but you've got to be able to put it behind you. At this level, uh, it's almost like a cornerback, right? You've got to have a short memory. And he's going to have to be able to put those things behind him very quickly and come back with confidence in catching the ball. Otherwise, Sean Payton's not going to have confidence in him, and he's going to be out of a job. Austin Carr will be back there making fair catches, and then yep. they'll just move on with their life and, and, and live to drive down the field. But, Jeff, let's shift over to the offense. I mean, you mentioned the offensive line and lots of talk going into this game about trying to slow down Shaq Barrett, who had nine sacks. Uh, the offensive line, there were a couple of penalties, but, boy, they did crack down on the mistakes for sure. Uh, against the Bucks and Teddy Bridgewater, I mean he he may he had a couple of scrambles, uh, but nothing that really made anyone worry. I mean he had a comfortable pocket. Uh, they were able to really slow down, say Indomitian Sue and Shaq Barrett was a non-factor. And uh, look, I talking with Teron Armstead after the game yesterday. He said that it was a huge emphasis this past week on cutting down on all those mistakes because they're uncharacteristic for the last couple of weeks. And they went out and, and did just that. Well, I think we need an APB for Shaq Barrett. I don't know if we even got his name called. I think he <laughs> finished with, what, two two tackles, no sacks, no quarterback hits. Bridgewater, I think, was hit two or three times, was not sacked once. And you see the difference, right, in quarterback play if he gets help. Remember early in those games against uh, uh, Seattle and I think the Rams even, uh, Sean Payton would say over and over he's not getting a lot of help. Well, he's getting more help, and when he gets help, quarterback his quarterback efficiency goes, uh, you know, correspondingly up. And, and we see him make the has time to deliver those passes downfield. Uh, those things take a little bit of time to develop in the pass route. And he was able to hit those plays because of the offensive line. I thought they ran the ball just well enough. I'd like to see them get the running game going a little better than they have the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be really tough sledding against Jacksonville this week because they've got a really strong front. But, uh, yeah, it was hard to complain about anything. That Once again, they kind of got control of the game with that end of the second quarter, start of the third quarter where they scored twice. Once they got control, it was pretty much lights out for the Bucks. Yeah, and Tampa decided to take the ball first, which was rare, which gave the Saints an opportunity to do uh, score and then get the ball back in the second half, which that's I feel like that was a, probably not the smartest move by Bruce Arians, maybe just trying to show confidence in his offense. That didn't work. And then I think we've learned throughout the year that if you're going to challenge pass interference, someone needs to be mugged or someone needs to be completely untouched because they're not going to overturn it. And Bruce Arians lost a challenge on that, losing his mind <laughs> on, on <laughs> right. the sidelines, which, you know, that's typical Bruce Arians. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, even though Michael Thomas pushed off a little bit, I'd say, on that play, I mean, he, you know, it wasn't blatant, but it was, it was a little bit. But I, I, I bring this up on purpose because of Michael Thomas. My goodness. We're starting to take him for granted – Ho-hum, oh, no big deal. He just has this monster game. And even though we've seen, Jeff, uh, some of the Saints receivers have some troubles catching some of Teddy's passes. I mean, would you agree with that, that sometimes uh, they've had some troubles catching his ball? Uh, That has not been the case with Michael Thomas, and that's why he's making the money 
He's making 11 receptions, 13 targets, 182 yards, two touchdowns, and including the longest pass play from Teddy Bridgewater, 42 yards. Jeff Michael Thomas is who we thought he was uh, using Denny Green, and he has been incredible. And, and Jeff, if you recall last year uh, when I wrote about Teddy Bridgewater when he wasn't playing and he was just sitting around being a backup, and I had an extended conversation with Michael Thomas about how much confidence he has in Teddy, that shows, and it shows blatantly uh, through the last three weeks with Teddy being a starter. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know what the Bucks were doing on Mike Thomas. You know, there were just a bunch of plays where they had no extra attention given to him, and you know, just conversely, look at how the Saints defended Mike Evans. I know Lattimore was on him, but they also had a lot of safety help over the top on Evans. They they were kind of shading and clouding him a lot. Jameis Winston talked about that afterward. It looked to me like the Bucks just decided they were going to play Mike Thomas straight up, and it was just a disaster. Uh, they got a lot of criticism from the Buccaneers uh, media corps uh, in the in the press today for how one how one sided those two receiver matchups. You know, it was a tale of two mics, right? You had Mike Evans, Mike Thomas, two great receivers. Ooh, I like that. But, yeah, and, and I think they were referring to Thomas as he was the open mic in this game because <laughs> he was nice. open all the time. And, and Vernon Hargraves just got overpowered. He's not a very big guy. This is a very tough matchup for him, and I just wondered a little bit about that coaching decision by Todd Bowles. Uh, I don't know if that disrespect to Mike Thomas, but he certainly made them pay. 182 yards, Larry, the second most of his career. I think the most was that Rams game where he lit up Marcus Peters, but that was yes. the second highest total of his career. Basically, he was the Saints offense yesterday. Absolutely. And some of the catches he's making in tough situations, it's like even I remember it was the third down where uh, he hits Mike Thomas in the sideline as he kind of makes a sliding catch for the 20 yarder. Uh, Remember the play before Teddy almost threw a pick and was one of the poor decisions Teddy made that day. And he bounced back and made a money throw. And of course, Mike Thomas made the money catch and then all is said and done. And so, boy, and I don't want to beat a Debbie Downer here. It's going to sound like a for a second. Uh, if you're the Saints and you don't be, you're not able to put up this type of production against the Bucks in the 31st ranked pass defense in the NFL. You've got problems. So at least when you see a weakness, Teddy Bridgewater and Mike Thomas together. They can attack a weakness, even though they know who the ball's going to. And I mean, that's just like another day at the office. You got to get the job done, and they did. Yeah, and look, we also finally saw Jared Cook start to become involved in the offense, which I think is going to be huge uh, as we go into the season, get down to the stretch of this uh, potential playoff run. They've got to have Cook be be the kind of guy that can win one on one matchups. They targeted him a lot yesterday. It seemed like they liked that matchup. Uh, he was able to catch his first touchdown pass. But if he comes on, uh, in addition to Kamara and Thomas, now you've got the big three. Uh, so they've got to continue to kind of make strides there because we, we know what we're going to get every every weekend with Mike Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I think it's the rest of that perimeter core that's going to have to step up. Well, you saw Ted Ginn uh, with the touchdown reception, uh, used his speed, caught him open. So get him going too. And uh, look, I, I just think overall – uh, you and me and everyone else in America would have never thought 3-0 and 
uh, as Teddy Bridgewater as the starter. And here they are. And you look at the standings around the rest of the NFL, Jeff. There's one undefeated team left who has not played yet. That's the, at least in the NFC, as the San Francisco 49ers. Seattle's 4-1. Of course, the Saints beat them. And the Green Bay Packers are 4-1. And, and Detroit's 2-1-1. One and, one. and so the Saints are the best team in the NFC. I just think they are even without Drew Brees, which, my gosh, is saying something. And you look at the rest of the NFL, you saw the Chiefs go down last night. Uh, looked like Patrick Mahomes got a little banged up a little, and that, yeah. that limited his mobility. So ankle, ankle. they're human. Yeah, hey, the Chiefs are human, and yet the Patriots are still 5-0. and And Jeff, you kind of scoffed at me yesterday. <laughs> kind of. We were talking. You were like, what? They're better than the Patriots. Um, can I just say the strength of the Patriots wins? Can I just can I just do that comparison? Yeah, okay. go right ahead. I, I, I'm going it to. Is, it is. I'm going to. Dunk and Holder. Well, I'm just going to take. Well, <laughs> last week well, last week it was Dunk and Terrell. I almost got uh, Wally Pipped. Adios. <laughs> I was never going to come back. <laughs> never coming back. Uh, but let's see. The Patriots their wins have come against teams who have a combined total of five wins. No. The Saints. I know. Yeah, their combined wins have come over a teams that have a combined 12 wins. I'm taking Saints over Patriots, even with Teddy, Jeff. Boom. How you like that? I, I, I would say that clearly the Saints are the best team in the D- NFC, although Green Bay's making a little bit of a push. They're, they've been very impressive. Their defense has really improved a lot. We know what they could do on offense. I think they're the second best team right now. Some people bring up Seattle. We saw the Saints go out to Seattle and dominate them on their home field. I, I don't think Seattle is, is, has any room uh, to be compared to the Saints. But here's the thing that blows my mind about the Patriots. I, I was doing some research last night, Larry, about the Saints' pass rush. They have 16, I think, and a half sacks right now. That's only fifth in the league. I thought it would be maybe leading the league or second or third. It's only fifth. New England has 24 sacks in five games. Uh, they're averaging almost five a game. And I know they're not doing it against great teams, but their defense is back to the old Patriots days, and we know they're going to get their offense going. Julian Edelman's back. Um, you know, they're, they're starting to get kind of synchronized in a running game. I, I, it looks all the world to me, and I know we're in week five right now, but it looks all the world to me like a collision between the Saints and Patriots in the Super Bowl which is what it should have been last year if it wasn't for that horrendous call. Um, I just I, I don't see anybody, unless something happens, stopping either one of these teams. No Chiefs? Not, not, not no, no, not Chiefs. after watching them get run over. They can't stop the run at all. Their, their offensive line's banged up, so I have to give them a little bit of you know leeway because they're playing without, I think, two starting offensive linemen, maybe three, and that's why Mahomes is getting beat up. But they cannot defend the run. I mean – Indianapolis was just lining up at the end of that game when they des- the Chiefs desperately needed to get the ball back. How many times have you and I watched the Saints? The Saints' run defense, I mean, if they give up a run, it's like two or three yards on first down, it feels like. They were getting seven, eight yards when, when you desperately needed to stop the run and get the ball back. You knew it. They were playing an eight-man front, and the, the Colts were still getting seven, eight yards. Uh, I don't see them advancing very far at all with that kind of defense. Well, Chris Jones left with an injury, and he's been their dominant defensive player up front. And 
they don't have him, it shows. So I'm curious to see how how long that injury goes. And we're I, we're reverting back. Are we just following our old buddy Herbie Tiope or something? I don't know. Uh, as talking Chiefs <laughs> now, that he's back in in Chiefs land. Our old colleague at the time, Spicune. But uh, let's pivot to LSU Utah State. We figured this would be uh, still a blowout game, even though the Jordan Love. Fest uh, people were in town for sure to watch him as he's being touted as a high draft pick. But I think LSU needed a defensive performance. We could talk all we want, Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson. Of course, we expect the offense now to be great, which is crazy. We're wondering about the defense, and I feel like a defensive performance, specifically, say, in the secondary, uh, you saw Stingley and you saw, of course, Christian Fulton. Uh, They really were able to take away... Uh, some of the weapons for Jordan Love. And uh, my biggest takeaway is that the defense played well, and now you're heading into Florida, and you were able to go against a, a big-time quarterback and really slow him down. Yeah, and that was that game had kind of trap written all over it, early start, kind of a, a non-name opponent. And it's easy to look ahead at the gauntlet coming up in the SEC. Uh, so I was actually impressed with how they how they performed on a hot day. It was very hot out there in the sun, and – they just wore Utah State down. The defense um, played a lot better, and they're going to have to. I mean, the next four games, Florida, at State, Auburn, and Alabama. So those are going to be very physical games, and I think the confidence that the defense gained yesterday I think will go a long way in these next four games. Yeah, and of course, Joe Burrow continues to be Joe Burrow, and people are now starting to wonder, all right, he's done it against some of this competition. Of course, did it against Texas. People are waiting to see if he can do it uh, against Florida, and you got to be impressed with Florida. Uh, Felipe Frank's out. Uh, Trask comes in, gets banged up, but still comes in, and and they beat Auburn, and I'm sure they're going to be brimming with confidence, and LSU and Florida is always kind of a feisty matchup. Like I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that uh, in our Thursday podcast. I'm actually heading up to Baton Rouge later on this afternoon as we're recording this on a Monday morning. Uh, and uh, I'm going to go up there and kind of get the pulse of the land. And I know, Jeff, you're going to be covering that game as I will be on the way to Jacksonville for Saints-Jags next week. So we'll be split apart. But uh, joining our cohorts, Brody Miller, of course, covering LSU and Catherine Terrell, of course, covering the Saints. So we'll be two feet uh Two sets of feet on the ground for each of those games. Uh, but like I said, we'll talk more about that later in the week. But, Jeff, you you and me like to talk Tulane, and it's the most viable conversation of Tulane football we've had in a long, long time. And they go up to Army after uh, an emotional win against Houston, have a bye week. I think that helped, that they were able to kind of get their emotions in check. And they were just able to – really offensively get it done again. And this is becoming the norm. Offense plays well. Uh, Justin McMillan uh, is able to throw at more accurately than we've seen. The running game is out of sight. I mean, they, they've just been running through everyone outside of Auburn. And defensively, they were able to stop an Army team that's been very good. Look, they were getting more votes in the AP poll than Tulane. Now it's reversed. Tulane ran for 324 yards, Larry. I mean, that was, that's amazing. Uh, four different guys ran for at least 50 yards. And uh, McMillan, another very solid game. And Army, you're right. I mean, Army had Michigan beat at Michigan. So that's a very good win. That's a very difficult place to play. One of the more historic venues in all of college football. 
And I think in preseason, I predicted them to lose this game. So it shows you what I know. Uh, I was I was impressed. I'm, I'm more impressed with Tulane every time I watch them, uh, just how well coached they are, how they don't beat themselves. Quarterback play is so much better now with Will Hall. I think Justin McMillan really fits this offense to a glove. You want a quarterback that makes good decisions but also is mobile enough to run with the ball. That's uh, that's it perfectly suits his skill set. And now I think you have to say this team uh, is going to really get into the mix now in the American Athletic West Division race, uh, which is a lot tougher than we thought at the beginning of the season with the emergence of SMU, who rallied. They were down 30-9 to going into the fourth quarter against Tulsa, and they scored three touchdowns going to overtime and win that game and escape with a with a win. They're ranked in the top 25 for the first time in a while. And, of course, I'm sure the Saints locker room's loving that. Will they still have about four players from SMU? Uh, uh, on the roster. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's SMU uh, East. But, uh, you know, it's it's been a much better uh, season from Tulane than even I expected. I thought they would improve on last year, but I think this team's legitimately can play with anybody in the conference. And, heck, if they could go uh, win this West Division, get in the conference championship game, be another step for the program under Willie Fritz. And you and I have talked about it before. I mean, this is – this. Uh, program has been built the right way. It's built to be have sustained success. So if you're a Tulane fan, it's not going to be one of these peaks and the team goes nine and three this year and drops off the face of the earth next year. Uh, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think uh, they've done such a good job in recruiting and developing the roster on both sides of the ball uh, that this team's going to be good for a while. And it's funny, even though they're not the Willie Fritz offense, like the triple option stuff that maybe you thought uh, would would uh, from the first couple of years, they are running the football so well. I mean, they average nearly 300 yards rushing a game. I think it's like 285, something like that. Uh, you've got the trio of Corey Dauphine, uh, Darius Bradwell, and, and Amari Jones. And uh, respectively, respectively, they had 75, 70, and 65 yards. Each of them had a touchdown. And... Uh, it's and their averages were 8.3, 5.8, and 7.2 yards a carry, and that's been the way it's been throughout the season outside of the Auburn game, and that's the way they're they're winning the football games, and it's taken pressure and some heat off of actually Justin McMillan to have to save the day every game, uh, like you had to see maybe when they had to storm back against Houston, uh, but even in that Houston game they ran the ball in that second half. And that was really what kind of got Houston back on their heels. And Jeff, if you look at their schedule, look, they're going to play UConn. I think uh, I'm seeing that they're like a 30 point favorite already Tulane. I mean, when the hell is the last time that's happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Unbeaten year what 99 or whatever. Yeah. It's been a while. 98. Yeah. 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 No, look, well, I was just going to say the schedule, gets increasingly tougher after that UConn game. You go to Memphis, you got to play at Navy, uh, you come back home against Tulsa, uh, you end the season with Central Florida at home, and then you go on the road to SMU. So those last two games are going to be really tough. Uh, but they're, I think they've got so much at confidence. T- at Temple, yeah, at Temple's not, yeah, not going right. to be any kind of cakewalk either. No, no the, the, it's a very competitive conference, and it's a very good uh, brand of football that's in that conference. I mean, I think it's clearly – the best, I know they build themselves as, you know, a, a power six conference. I mean, it's clearly the best conference outside the power five. And you can make a case that uh, 
you know, it, it should be it should be on the same level as some of the um, big power five conferences with how competitive it is. It's not just one or two teams. There's about five or six good teams in the American. Absolutely. And that's why uh, <laughs> whoever gets through that will be deserving of a, a New Year's Six Bowl. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So, all right, Jeff, that's going to wrap up this edition of Dunk and Holder. But first, before we sign off, want to give a shout out to our athletic podcast colleague D'Angelo Williams whoa former Carolina Panthers running back and uh, Memphis Tiger speaking of the American oh, Athletic that, Conference that's right uh podcast is called to be honest with D'Angelo Williams comes out every Wednesday uh with D'Angelo an athletic senior writer and fantasy expert Jake Seeley fearlessly dispense both of their players and fans perspectives of everything on and off the field. And their next episode is going to be one you want to listen to, or their latest episode, excuse me. It's grading this year's replacements and rookie NFL quarterbacks. So I think they're going to talk about Teddy Bridgewater. And I see the grades here, and our producer, Danielle, maybe she wants me to give them away. I'm not going to do it, though. I'm not going to do it. I want you to go listen to that podcast and go check that out. It should be very compelling. D'Angelo Williams, not one to ever hold his tongue. So certainly glad he's part of the Athletics Podcast Network. And of course, this one's on Apple. So you can go download it, review it, rate it, give us some love. Don't give us any hate. Eh, we, we, we get enough of that already, I'm sure. But uh, come back on Thursday. And of course, our Thursday pods are behind the Athletics paywall. So uh, if you want to listen to those, jump on the athletic.com slash New Orleans, subscribe. Get all of our good work, local basis, national basis. Uh, it is blowing up, especially with the Pelicans starting up, preseason basketball starting up tonight. So certainly something. Uh, Pelicans coverage is up and rolling now with Zion uh, and friends uh, taking the court for preseason. So uh, for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us here on the Dunk and Holder podcast. And we will be back here on Thursday. So uh, thanks for listening and talk to you again soon.